0: Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today.
1: Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula.
0: What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO here at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete. Clinician. Been on a major hiatus over the summer. Jared and I decided last after our last podcast, I think, gosh, it's been a few months, but uh, we decided we're going to take a little summer break, kind of recharge the batteries a little bit, get get things kind of in order. Um, Jared's got some things going on in his life. I've had some good things, some vacations and all that good stuff going on in my life, um, but been a good summer. Hopefully, you guys have had a great summer yourselves. Hopefully, you're buckling back in. I know kids are back in school, um, all sorts of good things happening um but uh, before we get into more let's hear how our co-host is doing how are you doing there jared hall
2: man i'm uh, i'm doing pretty well uh like kind of like we were talking about before we came on live you know dealing dealing with a little uh, a few things at work but uh, on the positive front uh, of things i am finally drawing near the the completion of my first house uh so we close on october 22nd that's just right around the corner uh, trying to lock in interest rates and all that sort of stuff right now has been a been a fun learning experience because uh, never done that before. But um, you know I'm I'm glad to be back on the horse and, and getting back on the podcast game. I've I've missed it. I've missed uh the regular chats with you and, and had a lot of people reaching out to us saying, "Man, where did that podcast go? Did you guys just decide to give it up?" It's like, no, we're just taking a break. We're just letting uh letting the creative juices kind of kind of bubble a little bit
0: yeah you know with this break we should our creative juices should be like at an all-time high but yeah i've also had some folks uh reaching out saying what are you guys doing like you guys like you, you and jared fighting or something what's what's going on but yeah no it's just we should be back at a regular clip now um going forward and uh uh we'll hopefully have some good content ready for you guys but as always reach out to us let us know if there's anything else you want us to talk about but Today's episode, Jared, we've uh, you've had some discussions with some of our men, our uh, coaching mentees and all these different things. And uh, one of the common topics you mentioned was around stretching, which is definitely a conversation I've had with numerous students and uh, mentees as well about is stretching uh, worthless Uh, because there's definite changes in in stretching and how we're taught, you know, what we're taught about it in school. And then what you hear on social media, it's like, man, it's not doing what we normally think it is. And so what's, what's been your experience with, with stretching as far as um, using it as intervention and then obviously what, what's been coming out on the research front?
2: Yeah. You know, this is an interesting, it's an interesting topic because it's come up two or three times lately in in, in the mentorship program. Um, and it's not in the way that I would have anticipated it coming up because when I was in school, for instance, and I learned stretching, like I learned stretch what's tight, you know, strengthen what's weak, right? Kind of, kind of a building off of the whole Yonda upper and lower cross syndromes. You got to, you got to stretch out what's tight. You got to strengthen what's weak. You got to get everything back in balance, et cetera. But There has been a lot of talk over the last few years of social media about, well, stretching doesn't really necessarily stretch stuff out, right? It it changes this concept of stretch tolerance. And Greg Lehman has been one of the guys that has really championed us learning a lot more about stretching. He's done some podcasts on it. He's written some articles on it and that sort of stuff. There's been a lot of Facebook posts. There's been a lot of, you know, Twitters and all that sort of thing about what does stretching actually do? And with that, with the concept that it's much more of a, a neurologically mediated event when we increase flexibility, a lot of people have. It, it seems to me a lot of younger clinicians, especially, have said, "Well, stretching doesn't do shit." So I'm I'm just not going to do any stretching with people. I'm never gonna I'm never gonna use stretching as a form of intervention in clinic. And um, it, I think that's actually maybe turned out to be not necessarily a good thing, a, a little bit of a, you know, cliche baby with the bathwater type of uh, concept, because at the end of the day, even if stretching doesn't change uh, structural architecture of tissue, stretching is just a form of load. And that's what we're doing in clinic with people. We're, we're just loading people. And, uh, you know, there's even some, there's some research that shows that under-trained or non-trained individuals can get muscle hypertrophy from stretching because it's a tension load to the muscle. And what do muscles respond to? What do tendons respond to? They respond to tension type loading. So you can actually get some hypertrophy and some positive tissue changes from stretching if you're an untrained individual. Um, but before we go on, I kind of want to get your thoughts on you know what, what what you've seen with that, the discussions you've heard, and what you've seen the evolution be.
0: Uh, You know, very similar uh, responses from students is like, why even stretch? What's what's the point? You know, and definitely there's been some discussions, especially in the athletic populations, where. They found, you know, static stretching can, you know, inhibit athletic performance, some of the reactivity, you know, muscle spindle unit type, you know, function, that type of thing. Um, There's that Conrad article, which I think, again, Greg, the, uh, you know, one of the big authority figures as far as in our profession and and Cairo professions talking about stretching, um, you know, brought up the Conrad study from 2014 in, in clinical biomechanics, where I think they did like a six week. Static stretching program on the Achilles and calf, and found that none of the changes that were witnessed had anything to do with the muscle tendon unit being longer. It's more likely a stretch tolerance uh, thing, you know, kind of a almost a neurologic, like your your body's getting into you know, tolerating that tensile load better than it would elsewhere. But you know, it it, it kind of makes sense too because there's always those like little party tricks you can do, like you know, you can get people doing like you know, squat down, touch your toes, and then do that kind of you know. Stand up and try to extend through your knees and you can get to where you're, you know, touching your toes after doing like a, you know, a minute of just kind of, you know, tensile loading of of the hamstrings. And some of the things you can do where you're all of a sudden straight leg raise changes dramatically. You know, we'll do this in courses where we'll teach. Um And I Adrian, I think, Lowe was the one in one of the courses too to that showed us like, you know, you can do. A straight leg raise test and then have them look at you know pre and post test and you just do like some oscillating into end ranges versus that static holding and contract relax where you got the person's legs parked on your shoulder and you're having them push down and then pull back up and then you and the patient are both grunting and struggling with it and then but you can do this one where you just do like a knee to chest 30 seconds a little piriformis you know on and off 30 seconds and a little you know sciatic floss 30 seconds in their straight leg raise, you know, dramatically increases probably more than what would be with this big, long static stretch. And I'll do that in classes. And students are like scratching their head because it goes completely against, you know, the narrative that they're kind of operating under that, you know, this static stretching is what's lengthening things. But yeah, I would agree with you also that I think it's not been also the best thing to just think that we need to throw any particular intervention. I mean, there's maybe some that have come along that we could probably been a little bit, but you know stretching people need to tolerate tensile load to reach to to bend down to to do functional things in life there's often times where you need to have the ability to elongate and maybe it's not elongated as far as like lengthening but to, to have your tissues tolerate the tensile loads that life brings on so you should probably construct some movements and exercises that probably are some stretching type things now Personally, me in clinic, I don't do a ton of long static holding stretches, maybe more for that time under tension for some longer, you know, held kind of where it is true, like, you know, contractures and things like that, but um, not a ton on the, uh, you know, when we're thinking it's more, you know, a lot of neurologically driven stretch tolerance type stuff. But what's been your experience as far as your evolution in your practice, Jared, as far as where it's where stretching has fit, because I think, you know, there might have been a period where I kind of took the like, okay, man, why am I even wasting time doing any stretching to probably come into, into a more of a middle instead of that false dichotomy that often gets formed here in social media. But uh, what's been your experience clinically with it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've definitely early on, I stretched a lot. Uh, and then I, I, I went too far on the pendulum and I went to not stretching at all. Cause I started to think at the same time that stretching was, uh, was worthless. And now I'm much more in the middle of the road perspective because I think there's a couple of points that you can really think about in which stretching might not be a bad idea or might even be a good idea. Number one, a lot of patients like to stretch in general. A lot of people enjoy stretching sometimes, you know, <clears throat> and you can think about that for a couple of reasons. They might perceive that they are stretching out something that's tight. Right. They're doing something beneficial. Uh Secondarily, from an interoception standpoint, right, just awareness of your body, when you stretch something, you you get a sensation in that area that you don't typically get. So you're gaining awareness maybe of your body. You're feeling some things in your body maybe you don't normally feel. And I think there's a reasonable argument there that maybe your body likes that. Maybe your brain likes that a little bit sometimes. Um, Next, uh, if I want to meet a patient where they're at and they're already perceiving benefit from this, what is the harm in putting in a little bit of stretching? Stretching isn't completely passive. It is a form of loading just a little bit, even though maybe it's a low load. So maybe I do it at the end of a session or maybe I do it as an accessory type of thing or maybe I do it to keep them happy, but it's not the primary thing that we do. Uh, Or maybe I have them do it on their, their off days when I've loaded them really heavy the day before and we want to introduce just a little bit of load on a, you know, a quote unquote active recovery day. But I don't I, I don't want it to inhibit their ability to come back the next session and load up um, and then also Stretching. It probably stimulates the hell out of some nociceptors. You know, when you think, when we think about we're increasing stretch tolerance, well, increasing stretch tolerance is either dampening down the peripheral ascension of that information through nociception or at the spinal cord or at the brainstem, right? We're, we're doing things that, you know, limit the way that we respond to that. So a lot of people feel better after stretching for the same reason they feel better after foam rolling. It's kind of an intense sensation and they probably get a little bit of that diffuse noxious inhibitory control or, you know, what the condition pain modulation, whatever the hell we're calling it these days, right? They get this wide range dynamic inhibition of nociception due to this strong ascending, you know, sensory information that they're getting and then the subsequent gating or modulation of that information. So maybe it feels really, really good to them afterwards because they've got their system primed and that might be a good way to, you know, prove to them that they can feel better, right. Keep them bought into the program, modulate their nervous system, provide a low load in strategic times where maybe you want to provide that load. Um, But then, you know, I don't, I, I agree. I don't dose it so much like I used to with one minute and two minute holds. Most of the time I have people hold a position for five seconds and I might do 15 or 20 reps So we get that total time under tension. uh, But I like the repeated exposure concept, like, hey, I'm going to go into that and then I'm going to come back out of that and then I'm going to go into that and I'm going to come back out of it. So I like more of an active engagement and stretching personally, and I don't have any valid evidence for that. But for the way that my mind works, a repeated exposure event seems like a cool way to go rather than just like, hey, hold this boring, terrible position forever.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would definitely echo too, like that, that's that been my mode of kind of going to a stretch into thinking of it as like, you know, almost like your, your habituation getting into loading into sensitive ranges that the tissues haven't, you know, comfortably been engaging in and, and kind of engaging in nociception to see, can you, can you tease at it to the point it starts, you know, it, diffuse noxious inhibitory control, all those lovely things that we talk about. Can you start tapping into some of the neurologic events that can help make a movement that is once sensitive, less sensitive to the movement. And again, if you can show patients that a movement that's valuable to them, that they, you know, reaching behind into the back seat, you do an open book or whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden they start in, you know, the first couple reps, it's not fun. And the more they do it, they breathe, they nudge into it. I think it's an easier, sell on something easier where they can kind of get into it versus like, here, I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you. And then just yeah stay there for 30 seconds and you know, it's all right. Just breathe. You're fine. Um, yeah. I definitely tend to do the on off more, you know, higher rep, 20, 30 reps, three, three second holds kind of getting into getting in and out and letting people learn to kind of, kind of like Corey staff stuff, uh, you know, the edge work where they're trying to get at the edge, breathe, you know, trying to find that range. And, and instead of mounting defense, they can start making without you know, sensitive range and seeing if they can kind of get more comfortable in it. But yeah, no, I, it's definitely something that's evolved. Uh, I would ag- agree with you too. It's a, it was a period where you know stretchings awesome, stretching's terrible, and then you know, for the right patient for what they need to do in life, it might be a great thing for, for some people, not so much. Some of the people I think not so much, we probably should mention. You know some of our t- acute tendinopathies, especially our compressive tendinopathies, like an Achilles, uh, distal Achilles at the insertional, um, your your proximal hamstrings. Um, you don't probably acutely want to be cranking a, a, a stretch on those, just because it tends to be the aggravating mechanism of a tendinopathy is that that tensile load where it's compressing the tendon against the, the bony structure, calcaneus or the ischial tuberosity in the hamstring case. Um, So there there might be some times where for particular conditions that stretching may be, but eventually those two need to get back to it. It just might be acutely, you might want to hang away from it, especially if you see that in that patient's case, man, when they stretch, it doesn't really feel that good and it, it, it kind of bothers, you know, their, their, their condition, then probably want to hang away from it for a little bit um but again of course you eventually people need to get back to where they're able to lengthen a, a, a dorsiflexion stretch through that's a pretty functional movement in life um but uh, uh, that has been something that as you read Jill Cook stuff and others and I, I was not a very good with tendinopathies coming out of school but that really was helpful to understand compressive tendinopathies any other times where you think stretching may not be helpful that, uh, that come to mind Jared or any other times where, um, cause I think there are some people that might love stretching you know, too much, but have you seen anybody who, who were, were stretching or in maybe that situation or other situations that come to mind where stretching may not be a good thing?
2: Yeah, I can think of a couple of scenarios. I'm glad you brought up the tendonopathy scenario. Cause that was, uh, that was something I wanted to address and, and, and uh, I really appreciate the fact that you said acute, right? Acute insertional tendinopathy. We probably don't ram into stretching, but like you said, I mean, you start getting to mid stage rehab and especially late stage rehab. That's exactly what we need to be doing. So you back off of it early, you calm shit down, you start loading it up, you getting, you get it feeling better and then you expose it to the stuff that it needs to be built back up against. So, you know, there's, there's Greg Lehman in my head again. Um, other other scenarios where I don't think it would be a great idea to uh, do a ton of hamstring stretching, for instance, is uh, there are some people that feel tight in their hamstring because they have more of a neurological issue going on, and then taking that hamstring up and holding it in 30 or 60 seconds of tension is essentially putting the sciatic nerve in a tensioned position, which it may not be super uh, happy with. You know, You might not get a great response, so I'm thinking early stage or more irritable neurological issues that present patients say, man, I've just got this crazy tight hamstring. It's just so tight. I just need to stretch it out. Um, a long duration load on that might not be an awesome idea, but I would even say that that's, that's probably to some degree case, case dependent and how irritable is that nerve. And then finally, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with this because I think we can, but um, a lot of hypermobile or really, really, really flexible people feel like they need to stretch all the time. And I have a theory on that. I don't know that stretching is bad for them, but it's probably not the most effective thing for them either. And I have absolutely zero evidence for this theory. But my, my thought is when you are really mobile, your joints probably do move around a little bit more than the average person's, right? You you don't have as much uh, ligamentous stability and in, in, in that sort of thing. And if we just think about mechanical load and movement, you're probably getting a little bit more nociception. You're probably getting a little bit more mechanical load and movement at the joints when you just live your life, when you just hang out in certain positions, when you just go through everyday life. So maybe your system is getting more nociception than the average person's. And there is a response to make that area feel tight, make that area feel gunked up, make that area feel like it needs some sort of load. And and I would argue that that working on proprioceptive exercises and working on strengthening are a a better long-term uh solution rather than the short-term solution or the short-term fix you get from just stretching more stretching more stretching more but that is totally a hypothesis and uh, you know i think that it has some merit but i can't say that for sure
0: yeah no good points i i definitely uh agree with you the the acute sciatica um, that's coming from a herniated disc. You, if when I had mine, you would not catch me dead stretching my hamstring. Well, if I did, it was not a friendly event for for a good few weeks. But eventually, needed to get back to where that sciatic nerve could take on tensile load. But acutely on you know neuropathic uh, pain issues into extremities. Not a not a friendly event for your patients. But that's again, you fit your treatment to your patient and make sure um, you're not just uh, doing things. Dead, you know because we just do them habitually. You got to have that clinical process that we spoke about. Um, As we've been speaking about today, a lot of these topics come out of our coaching program and mentorship program. If you're ever interested in chatting with Jared or I on that program and want to see if it's a good fit for you, don't hesitate to reach out. We have a web uh, address, modern slash call. If you jump on there, you can book a call with us and we can see if it's a good fit for you. If it's not, no big deal. We can obviously have a chat, um, go over where you're at in your career and give you some good guidance and uh, go from there. But Jared do you have anything else that you would like to discuss with the with the folks before we wrap up our our inaugural episode after our, hi- our hiatus
2: No no I just uh, you know I just really encourage everybody to um, t- to reach out with us with uh, questions or concerns give us feedback on these episodes let us know how you're feeling about them are you happy that they're back is there anything specific that you'd like to hear about uh, I mean Mark and I we have a list of about 15 topics that we could go through but we, we prefer to talk about the things that people want to hear about rather than what we want to hear about. So um, definitely shoot us a message and and let us know.
0: Yeah. These episodes are for you guys. Um, we want to serve you guys with some content that's valuable to you and your practice. So hopefully these have been valuable. We've been gotten some good feedback, but um, the content is driven by your guys' wants and needs. So don't hesitate. Reach out to us. Email um, Jared at ModernPainCare.com, Mark at com, or obviously on social media. And we're happy to to take any suggestions a lot of our topics are come from you guys so let's let's keep them coming in um but uh, we'll wrap it up for today's episode it was great uh getting back on the saddle of the podcast we'll be coming back at you guys weekly here for the the time being unless some other hiatus unless the whole household uh studio build it delays things a little bit but that'll be a good reason for us to take a break but um yeah we should be here on the weekly uh, clip and uh, again reach out if you have any questions until then we'll talk to you next time
1: this has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karjula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. and is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Modern Pain Podcast.